Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. And it is a good morning. It's a good morning to praise God for the day that changed the world. And I'm not talking about the day we were told to stay in our homes. I'm talking about the day that Jesus left the tomb when he stood up and life came back into the shell of the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and he lives now forever. And I love the resurrection story, the very true story, because not only did he conquer death in that, but he showed us what it means to be resurrected. He showed us of the day of the time when we will be resurrected. Well, I'm, I'm gonna get way ahead of myself here. I wanna begin this morning by retelling the story. And if you'll just indulge me for a moment, I'd like to retell it from all four gospel accounts. Four different accounts of the same event, but obviously spoken by four different writers, inspired by the same spirit, but four different perspectives of this event. So grab your Bible, sit back, maybe get some coffee or tea, and follow along as we hear again the old, old story. I'll begin in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, 1. Now after Shabbat... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Go over one gospel to the right, the gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Mark, chapter 16. When Shabbat was over, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. While they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, 
He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, verse 14, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse one. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, They came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. As the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Continue on, John chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb, the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to, you know, I can't read it this way. I gotta read it to you the way it's written. So John chapter 20, verse one, I want you to recognize something that the Spirit inspired John to do when he wrote this. He writes all of the verbs in the present tense. All the verbs in the present tense. So this is how it actually reads. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes early to the tomb while it is still dark and sees the stone taken away from the tomb. So she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and says to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth. They were going to the tomb And the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking in, he sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he does not go in. And so Simon Peter also comes following him and enters the tomb and he sees the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place all by itself. And so the other disciple 
who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. I love how John writes that. He writes in that present tense verb form because for John, though this is probably written 60 years after the fact, it is still that immediate. The resurrection of Jesus, that moment on that Sunday morning was still that immediate to him, that real, that present tense. And so that's how John would remember it and think about it. And I encourage you followers of Jesus to do the same that this is not a past tense reality, this is our present reality. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of, of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's present tense. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now you might ask, how do I get that goodness in me? <laughs> that is, how do you get Christ in you for eternal life? How does that happen? Well, you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Listen to what Moses wrote. He said, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? He says, no, the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And the apostle Paul takes hold of this and explains it saying in Romans chapter 10, verse eight, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Well, that sounds interesting, intriguing, but what does that mean? Paul explains. That is the word of faith that we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you get that goodness in you. That's how you get Christ in you. It's simple. It's profound. You confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord. Bible says you cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So there is a, a moment there of change that happens. You say, Jesus, Lord. You proclaim him, Lord. You come under his authority. You speak it out. Jesus, Lord, with your mouth. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, just as he said, and you will be saved. That is unequivocal. That is God's proclamation, his guarantee to you. This is how faith comes, that it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. You speak it out, you believe in the resurrected Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers us fullness of life, like the true fullness of life. Which is why Paul also prayed in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may, listen, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Filled up to the fullness of God. But for all the fullness of God, this is the emptiest Easter I've ever seen in this building. In fact, this is the emptiest Easter I've ever seen in any church building that I've been in on an Easter Sunday morning. It's like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, where are the people? (laughs) And we have a handful here, but I'll tell you what, this church building is like the empty tomb with the exception of a few angels. Like the empty tomb. You see, the fullness of God was presented to us in the emptiness of the tomb. What, what one of the, an amazing oxymoron. There are many of them in scripture. And this is one, that in the emptiness of the tomb, we recognize the fullness of God. Now, I deeply miss our fellowship. I truly do. I miss having all of you here and hearing everyone's voices raised in song. I, I miss the laughter out in the fellowship area. I miss hanging out together. I miss the questions. I miss the answers. I miss the time that we spend. I miss the spilled coffee. I miss it all. But something else is missing that I want to address this morning. In the gospel records, we go straight from the burial to the empty tomb. Now, think about this with me. Other places tell us what Jesus was up to, certainly during that three-day time. He wasn't just lying out. He wasn't just kicking back. He was busy. He was at work on what we sometimes call the silent Saturday, the day in between. Silent Saturday Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth, a biblical uh, description or euphemism for Hades, that he descended to the lower parts of the earth and he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things, the fullness of God. He descended so he might ascend, and as he ascended, he led, Paul says, captive, a host of captives. That is, he set people free. He set free the spirits of those who had died in faith prior to the crucifixion and were waiting for that moment of redemption to happen. He set them free, he led them home, and now if someone dies in Jesus, the spirit immediately goes home to be with the Lord. Body goes into the ground, but the spirit goes home with Jesus because the way has been made and he fills all things. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which, listen, in the spirit, he went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Jesus was not lying around on silent Saturday. It was not a silent Saturday where the spirit of Christ was concerned. It was proclamation Saturday as he preached, as he shared the truth of the gospel. For those that he led home, 
It was the truth of their redemption. For those who were in rebellion, it was the reality that Jesus is God. For those demons that had rebelled against God, it was the declaration that their power is shut down. That they no longer have any sway over those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6 says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So again, Jesus wasn't just kicking back in the time between burial and resurrection. But you know what's missing? In all of these biblical accounts, what you will not find in the Bible is the moment of resurrection. The moment of resurrection. The closest that we get to it is in Matthew's gospel. Let me read it to you again. Matthew chapter 28, verse two. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But we don't see into the tomb. And the guards didn't see Jesus exit the tomb, at least as far as the scriptures tell us. We don't know if he high-fived the angel on the way out. <laughs> we don't know what happened. We don't even know if the angel rolled away the stone for Jesus to get out or for his followers to get in. In John's gospel, we know that Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple is most likely John, we know they made a mad dash foot race to the tomb. We also know John got there first. I love that he tells us that. I think he's gonna rub that in on Peter throughout eternity. You know, I got there first. And John got there and he looked in and he saw the linens and then Peter arrives huffing and puffing right after him, blows right by him, goes inside the tomb and sees the wrappings there and the face cloth neatly rolled up. And then John tells us that he, the other disciple, saw and believed. But no, listen, no one saw Jesus take his first resurrection breath. It's not described in the Bible. No one saw his chest suddenly fill with air. No one saw his lungs expand, his eyes open. No one saw him bust out of the cocoon-like spiced wrappings. Remember I told you on Good Friday, if you were listening, they took those strips of linen and they soaked them in that myrrh uh, and spice mixture. And then they wrapped the body. And as those linen strips were wrapped around the body, they would harden and fo form a shell, a cocoon-like shell. Be very difficult to bust out of. Well, they really never planned for people to bust out of them. And yet we don't know what happened. I mean, maybe Jesus' body was just raised in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, leaving the stiff body-shaped linen there like an empty shell, empty as the tomb itself. Can you imagine Peter seeing that? <laughs> this body-shaped, empty shell, and the napkin rolled up over on the side. But again, we don't know. We don't know if it was torn open. We don't know if there was a glorious moment where light exploded inside the tomb and Jesus, boom, he just stood up. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, 
I, I was watching earlier this week a YouTube video that, that was de declaring the best scene in the whole movie. And it's that scene at the very end where it shows light coming into the tomb and the stone rolling away and the tomb begins to fill with sunlight and then you see the face of Jesus and he opens his eyes and he stands up and walks out of the tomb. It's very cool. It's not in the Bible. The word of God does not tell us what happened. We just don't know between the burial and the resurrection. We know what Jesus was doing on Silent Saturday, but we do not know what happened, how it happened in the moment of resurrection. In fact, the next thing we know, Jesus is outside the tomb and strangely unrecognizable to Mary. Listen to this part of the story. This is John chapter 20 and verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she sees two angels. John's back to the present tense. She sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And I remind you, Bible students, there are two angels, two cherubim, one at the head and one at the feet of the Ark of the Covenant which is a really interesting picture that I think John is drawing upon here. And the angels, they said to her, verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? She says, she says to them, because they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and sees Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. By the way, that, that's not like some holy, ooh, esoteric, don't touch me because I'm in ghostly presence. No, no. He just says, hey, you don't have to cling to me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. I haven't left. Stop clinging to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene comes announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. That stirs my heart. Oh, this whole thing does, but, but her words, Mary's words, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. What is it that truly changes a person? When a person becomes, as the Bible describes or calls, born again, what is it that really changes a person? It's what Mary said. I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse three, Paul describes all of this. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom Remain until now, as Paul writes, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. 
And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. But nobody saw it happen. And that's intriguing to me. Nobody saw Jesus rise from the dead and exit the tomb. And so the chief priests conspired to pay off the Roman guards. Go back to Matthew 28. Listen to this part of the story. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story has been widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. They still tell that story. Even now, people try and make up ways that this happened, that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Or perhaps the body of Jesus, he didn't really die on the cross, he just swooned, and yet the gospels testify. John tells us that he saw the Roman drive the spear into the side of Jesus and blood and water came out. Blood and water signifying that ruptured heart of a dead man. We know he was dead swooned. Yeah, he, he just got a little exhausted and then they took him down from the cross and suddenly three days later he woke up in a cocoon and popped out of there, rolled away the stone, overcame a Roman garrison and made his way back into the city. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is amazing to me the lengths to which people will go to deny the true story of Jesus. But I'm still in this place. The moment of resurrection, it remains a mystery it's known only to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The moment of resurrection, how it happened. But the moment of resurrection literally changed everything. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning. Began thinking about this a few weeks ago. The moment of resurrection. And I've been wanting to talk about it, and as I thought about it, and, and I, I truly felt like, this was what I was to talk about. I didn't hear this from the Lord, but I think the Lord was indicating, I really felt strongly, this, I was, you're supposed to talk about the moment of resurrection, and I, and I asked the Lord about it. I said, well, how can I do that? You don't talk about it. How am I supposed to talk about it if you don't talk about it? This is hard. It's absent from the text. It's missing from our eyes. So let's join two men. And an extended version of the story, this is what I call the director's cut, Jesus reveals to them what I had not seen. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, and we're gonna camp out there for a few more minutes this morning. Luke chapter 24. In the extended story of the resurrection of Jesus that took place that very afternoon. Luke chapter 24, picking up in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. If you look on a map, Emmaus is seven miles due, due west, so toward the Mediterranean Sea, away from Jerusalem. 
And as they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, uh, verse 15 tells us, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Can you imagine the fun Jesus was having on that resurrection day? <laughs> the Bible says, who for the joy set before him, and he's already in that place of joy, as he shows up to Mary and just says, Mary, and she grabs hold of him. As he, later we find out, we don't know the whole story on this, but he shows up to Peter on the way back from the tomb. And now he, he appears to these two men, but he's disguised. They don't know it's him. I just love this about God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 18, verse 19, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And it's interesting because we have two men who are making a journey and they are gathered in Jesus' name. I mean, that is, they are talking about Jesus. They are focused on Jesus. They're sharing with one another. They're discussing. They're, they're intrigued about what had taken place and they're naming Jesus as they go when Jesus shows up. They're discussing Jesus and the breaking news of the day, deliberating, however, listen, deliberating without faith. They're talking about Jesus. They're aware of the claims that have been made. They know, obviously, about the brutality of the crucifixion and they know about the burial and the, the stone and all that, but now they're hearing these stories from, from the women. They're hearing these stories from others, strange, bizarre things, and they're discussing these things without faith. So they couldn't recognize Jesus. It's really hard to recognize Jesus without faith. The Greek says, literally, in verse 16, their eyes were from laying hold of him. So the word prevented isn't there. It's just that their eyes couldn't see him. Their eyes were from laying hold of him. And a lot of suggestions have been made about this verse. Some say that Jesus may have been supernaturally disguised. There are others who suggest his face had been altered by the beatings. That's a difficult one. Some say that it was such a brutal time that even after resurrection, his face didn't look the same. I, I think that denies the resurrection power. Granted, the wounds are there. The nail holes, the, the wound in his side from the sword, those are there. Those are there, the Bible indicates, eternally. But to say that the beatings and the, and the bruisings would, would have altered his face, I, I, I don't see that. I don't think the Bible indicates that. Some say that the setting sun must have gotten in their eyes. I mean, they're heading out to Emmaus, west of Jerusalem, so they're going directly into the sun. Maybe the sun was there and, and Jesus shows up and so they couldn't see him or maybe more likely it was just because they couldn't see past the noses on their own faces. In any case, Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus is gonna explain this to Thomas just eight days later. John chapter 20, verse 29. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's you, that's, that's me. Those who did not see and yet believed. Hey, we didn't see the moment of resurrection. 
We believe it. Mary didn't. Peter didn't. John didn't. The apostles, the 11, they didn't see the moment, but they believe. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Now understand what's going on here, that, that Jesus is not just having fun with people. When he shows up to Mary and he's disguised, she doesn't recognize him. When he shows up here to the two men on the road to Emmaus and they don't recognize him, he's not toying with them, he's not playing with them. You need to know about God and understand God is always working to inspire and increase faith. That is top of the list for our God and Father. That's what Jesus is about, to inspire and increase faith. Let me ask you, how's your faith been doing in the last month? How's it been going? Have you spent more time watching the news or reading the word? How's your faith been? Have you given more focus to governmental conspiracy theories than you have to the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension? Have you given in to fear and frustration over faith and devotion? God is always working to inspire and to increase faith. If you don't have faith, he's working to inspire it. If you have faith, even tiny faith, even faith the size of a mustard seed, God is growing it. He's nurturing it. He's cultivating it. He is increasing it. This is what God does. Verse 17, continuing in the story, says, and he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. That is the world without Christ. That is life without faith standing still, looking sad. Going nowhere, feeling hopeless. This is not the Christian posture. That's not the way the follower of Jesus is. We don't stand still and look sad. We are moving forward. We know where we are going with with great joy and expectation and, and hopefulness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. If we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And in verse 20, he says, but, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. It's interesting, Paul even raises the possibility, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. If we've hoped in Christ in this life, we are most pitiable among all men. He can only raise that because it's not true. He says, if that's the case, this would be pathetic, but it's not the case. It's not the reality. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we don't stand still and look sad. And here Jesus is standing right before their still sad faces and they don't even know it. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? What an ironic question. And he said to them, what things? (laughs) What an even more ironic answer. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who 
was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Oh, man. Don't you know? Haven't you heard about all these things going on? And when Jesus says what things, again, I gotta point this out, he is not toying with them. He's not just messing with them. What are you talking about? That's something I would do, but that's not what he's doing. I can tell you with, with assurance that the motivation of Jesus here is to inspire and increase faith. So he asked them, what things? Now, stay with me on this. This is huge. He asked them, what things? And you know what he gets them to do by asking the question? He gets them to replay the events of the weekend. And that is how you inspire and increase faith. It's called the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what Jesus has got them repeating back to him right now. As they say, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, verse 19 continuing, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and in word in the sight of God and the people, and how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since all these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us while they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said but him they did not see. My friends, it's the gospel. When Jesus says what things, he calls them to recount the gospel. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're finding your faith beginning to wobble, recount the gospel story. Revisit. Go to the gospels themselves. Reread the crucifixion. Reread the burial. Reread the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you will find your faith increasing. And Jesus is doing this with them right here, right now. The only problem is this is the gospel pre-faith. See, what they're recounting to him is the gospel. They tell the truth of everything that has happened, that he was sentenced, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that they didn't find his body, that a vision that he was alive, all these things are, are the truth. This is what actually happened. They're recounting it, but they're doing it without faith. It's the gospel ready to launch. And all the elements of information are there. The question now is, will they believe it? Will they believe it? Verse 25, and Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Oh, foolish men, he says. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus here. This is not an invective. It's not the Greek word moros. Oh, morons, fools, listen up, imbeciles. That's not what he's saying here. It's the word anoatoi. And anoatoi in the Greek is without understanding. So he says to them, oh, men, without understanding. And then he says, and slow of heart to believe. Like I said, all the information's there, but the spiritual understanding that only comes by faith, that was what was lacking. 
And so Jesus says, they're slow of heart to believe. That's an interesting phrase also. In the Greek language, it's bradys tachycardia. We would say bradycardia. Bradycardia, it is an actual known medical condition that can take place. Jesus uses this. Interesting that it's in the Gospel of Luke, who was a doctor. And so Dr. Luke notes that Jesus said they were slow of heart. That is, they had bradycardia. Bradycardia is when the heart rate falls below 40 beats per minute. And when that happens, man, weakness sets in along with dizziness and nausea, and you either pass out or you're close to it. I've been there. I've actually experienced bradycardia in my life just before the ambulance came. <laughs> and it's a strange feeling where you just, it's just like all you wanna do is lie down and, and, and just go to sleep. You have zero energy, slow of heart. Jesus says, oh, foolish men, oh, men without understanding and slow of heart to believe. Believe in what? In all, he says, that the prophets have spoken. You're slow to believe in all that's been said with gentle correction. Jesus, in essence, implies y'all should have seen this coming. You should have known this was coming. The prophets spoke of this. The prophets described this thousands of years ahead of time. Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, all of the prophets, they described these things. They declared ahead of time, Jonah. Jonah lived it. And all of this was described that you would believe, oh, slow of heart, oh, man, without understanding, you should have seen it coming. I think about that, and I think I never want to hear him say that. I never want to hear Jesus say, Rick, you should have known. Rick, you could have known in advance. Hey, everyone can know. You can know what's coming. It, it still stuns me. Okay, side event. I'm way off notes here for a moment, but it still stuns me. It blows me away that churches don't preach the book of Revelation. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to stand before him having known what he promised would happen rather than being among those who should have known? You should have known. You could have known. Oh, men without understanding. Oh, slow of heart. He has given us the prophetic word, Peter says, more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the morning star arises in your hearts. See, that's the thing we can know. God has not hidden anything from us. The problem is, when we don't know, when we're not paying attention, when we are without understanding, bradycardia sets in. We become slow of heart to believe. Verse 26, he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? I can imagine right now, something's gotta be stirring with these two men on this road. All of a sudden, this man who at first didn't seem to know anything about Jesus knows everything about Jesus and now is instructing them. Verse 27, oh, I love this verse. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself 
in all the scriptures. Psalm 40, verse seven, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Quoted again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse seven. John 5, 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Revelation 19, verse 10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. My friends, 66 books in the Bible, one revelation. One revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. It's all about him. And so he's walking with them. Remember, they're on that seven-mile journey going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they're walking along into that sunset that day, he's opening up the prophetic word. He's showing them all these things that had taken place and how it fulfilled what had been prophesied by the ancient Hebrew prophets. What a trip. What a Bible study. Man, walking in the word with the word as he expounds the word. How amazing. I, that's one of the ones, I've told you before, I wanna get the Blu-ray, the whole set from creation to, you know, to resurrection. I wanna get the set of Blu-ray when I get to heaven and just watch them. And that's a moment I wanna watch. Jesus describing, explaining the whole thing. You know what he does? He addresses their bradycardia, their slow of heartness. He addresses it by putting the paddles of prophecy against their hearts and saying, clear! <laughs> Suddenly, he electrifies their hearts with the word of God. The Bible says, Luke 24, 32, if you skip down and look at this, later they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Mormons will knock on your door and they will ask you to read their debunked books. And I don't, mean offense by that, I just speak in truth that what is claimed in the Book of Mormon to have happened was debunked even by those witnesses who claimed that they had seen it. Do the research. And the Mormon will come to you and he will say to you, read our book and look for a burning in the bosom. And I'll tell you, if you read the Book of Mormon, and look for a burning in the bosom, you will just get heartburn. It's the closest you're gonna get. The word here, burning, were not our hearts burning within us, is kindled, stirred up, ignited. And that can only happen when the word of Christ gets into your heart. When Jesus speaks his word into your heart, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, literally the spoken word, Christ. When Jesus speaks Jesus into your heart, that's when you get ignited. That's when you're stirred up. That's when faith will come. Verse 28 in the story, and they approached the village where they were going. And he, that is Jesus, acted as though he were going farther. Another moment where you could say, well, he's playing with them. No, he's not toying with them. He's inspiring faith. He's allowing them the opportunity. He's letting them make the call to invite him in. So he's gonna continue on unless they say, no, stay with us. Stay with us, come in. And that'll happen in this world. When the spirit knocks on your heart and you say, no, I don't have time for this. When Jesus comes to you and says, will you believe? 
And you say, ah, I just don't think so. Okay. He's going to continue on. Thankfully, with his great patience, he often will come back again. But he's waiting for you to let him in. He's waiting for the invitation to come from you for him to enter your heart. Well, verse 29, they urged him saying, stay with us for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it, breaking it. He began giving it to them. And then verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. How cool is that? He just, he's gone. Breaking bread with Jesus is another way to jumpstart a sluggish heart. It's why we do it every Sunday, every Wednesday, and often other times when we gather as followers of Jesus Christ. We break bread. We share communion, that koinonia fellowship, because that also leads us back to the gospel, back to the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, back to the proclamation that he's coming, breaking bread with Jesus. Now, now understand, I don't think this was a communion meditation. Jesus had just instituted this, had just you know, transferred the Passover into the Lord's Supper Thursday night. Now it's Sunday morning. And so this had just taken place. I don't think they were sharing in a, in a communion moment together. What's happening here is just good, plain fellowship. Fellowship, though, with Jesus. He had, they had heard the bread of the word, and now they commune with Jesus, and that's what did it. Finally, in that moment of fellowshipping with Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, their eyes are open and faith arrives. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But where the gospel is proclaimed, where Jesus is invited in, at that time, faith comes, eyes are open. Now, you might ask, well, why then, when they finally get it, does he vanish from their sight? Wouldn't that be a good time for hugs all around and, and chatting it up and encouragement? No, they recognize him and he's gone. Why? Because God is always focused on inspiring and increasing faith. It's always about the faith. 1 John 5, 4 tells us, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So don't be surprised if he shows up, you experience relationship, your, your eyes are open to him, and he vanishes. Don't be surprised in those seasons where you're calling out to him and you feel like there's not an answer. Or God seems to be silent. Or you wonder if he's near. God is inspiring and increasing faith. He's at work. He has not left you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. Behold, I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. But sometimes he's with you very quietly that faith, that trust, man, trust me. Do you trust me? Will you trust me? That that will increase. Verse 32, they said to one another again, were not our hearts burning, inspired within us, kindled, stirred up within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Oh, the word of God, taught by God, will always stir the embers of a sluggish heart. Jeremiah 20, verse nine, I love what the prophet says. He's having a hard time prophesying to a people who will not listen. And so he determines, I'm just not gonna do it. But then he writes, Jeremiah 20, verse nine, if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, <laughs> Then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Gotta let it out. Gotta share the truth of who my God is. We've got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 34, they were saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse, didn't I? Verse 33. They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Note that, this is amazing. They had made a seven mile trek to Emmaus. They had gotten there in the evening time. Remember, they said to Jesus, hey, it's, the hour's getting late. It's getting too late to go anywhere else. Stay with us tonight. You know, enjoy our hospitality. Stay the night here, and then you can continue on. So it's evening already, and that moment when they recognize Jesus, immediately they make the nearly seven-mile trek back to Jerusalem. Guess who's not suffering from bradycardia now? Their hearts are pumping. Their hearts are beating strong. So off they go, hot-footing it back to Jerusalem because they had to get together with their brothers and sisters. They had to get together with other believers. Well, verse 36 says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, shalom, <laughs> peace be to you. They were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And by the way, the Bible teaches a full bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is a picture for you and for me of our full resurrection. We don't become wispy spirits out among the clouds. We are resurrected, body, soul, and spirit. Our bodies glorified, perfected. Don't worry, it's gonna look great. We're caught up and we are made whole by the fullness of Christ. And that's what we see with Jesus. He says, look, touch me here. It's me, I'm here. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now listen, 
No one saw the moment of resurrection. It's not in the Bible. We can't describe it. We can only guess what actually happened in that split second, in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, as I said before. No one, no one saw it. But they did see Jesus. And that's the point. They saw Jesus. Mary saw Jesus. And Peter saw Jesus. Cleopas and his walking buddy, the 11, a week later, Thomas. After that, James among the others. And remember what what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, verse six. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom who remain until now. So they could have tested that. They could have checked it out. Do the research, ask those who were there. They saw Jesus. And trust in Jesus exploded in the first century world. And it hasn't stopped expanding outward ever since. Don't let the media, don't let the statistics, don't let the worries and the doubts fill your heart. The gospel is still going out. People are still believing in Jesus. Lives are getting saved all over this world. Even if it seems like hearts are dull in America, man, don't be silent because it is the gospel that changes a life. And this is my point this morning. No one saw the moment of resurrection, but they did see the resurrected Jesus, which unequivocally, absolutely proved that that moment of resurrection happened. They saw Jesus. It's like those Greeks. I love these guys. I gotta talk to them someday. John chapter 12, verse 20, they found Philip there in Jerusalem, And in verse 21, John 12, 21, they said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. See, that's all you need. You don't even have to see the moment of resurrection. You need to see Jesus. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And you know how Jesus responded? Listen, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. The moment of resurrection. The moment of resurrection happens when faith rises and the heart starts to beat. That's the moment of resurrection. That's when it takes place, when a person sees the Lord. Mary said, I have seen the Lord. The Greek said, we wish to see Jesus. And when a person sees Jesus and realizes in that moment, Jesus is Lord, that's the moment of resurrection. You have entered into the company of the first resurrection, those who will be made alive in Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible says those who have died in Christ they will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet Jesus in the air. And so we shall forever be with the Lord. The moment of resurrection is when you believe in Jesus as Lord. You give him your life. And you come alive. And you are changed. And this will, listen, this will get this This will lead up to your literal resurrection and mine, the moment of resurrection that we are all now just waiting for. And it is coming. 
Verse 44 of Luke 24. And now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All things, not just the prophecies of the first coming, but all the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus must be fulfilled. He's gonna get it done. And so I pray for you. And for me on this Resurrection Sunday, I pray for the moment of our final resurrection, our literal resurrection, when we will see Jesus face to face in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, Praise Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We bless the name of Jesus this morning because we know that that moment of resurrection happened. Father, people can ask me, how do you know? And my answer is, I have seen the Lord. Oh, Jesus, I've, I've seen you. Not with eyes of flesh, but with eyes of faith. I have seen you. I believe in you. I trust in all that your word teaches about you. And my prayer is that we would all together see you, Lord Jesus, by faith first and then in the clouds. Father, work your work among us. Send your spirit among us. Inspire and increase faith among us. For this is our prayer on this resurrection morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.